welcome to the official podcast of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. Every six months, ASIC releases an overview of its enforcement outcomes, wrapping up its activities to ensure a fair, strong and efficient financial system for Australians. I'm Louise Tapsell, and today I'm joined by ASIC Commissioner Sean Hughes, who is going to take me through some of the interesting aspects of the report, bannings, jail time, High Court judgments and ongoing investigations. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Louise. Great to be here. Sean, let's get straight to it. There's some interesting cases that have concluded in the last six months here at ASIC. Let's start off at the top, the High Court. Yes, Louise, the Mount Everest of our court hierarchy. It was an encouraging way to end the year hearing that the High Court had ruled in our favour for the case against former directors of the Australian Property Custodian Holdings. Commonly known as Prime Trust, when this business collapsed, it owed investors $550 million, but we were taking them to court over a $33 million payment. That's right, Louise. ASIC argued that the directors had breached their duties by authorising an amendment to the constitution of the Prime Retirement and Aged Care Trust, which enabled a payment of $33 million to be paid out of trust assets without member approval. The High Court ruling means the original ruling in the Federal Court now stands. Some of the directors are facing fines and disqualifications, which means that they can't run any corporations for a period of time. These cases are important to protect consumers and send a clear signal to company directors about their responsibilities under the law. There is a link to the Prime Trust work on the homepage of our website. Sean, this was a case that we won. What about the cases that ASIC doesn't win? What might be a reason to relitigate? Well, we might appeal a case if we think there is an error of fact or indeed of law. But we might also appeal if we believe that there may be a more strategic reason. For instance, if an appeal might set a precedent, and that then might have implications for our enforcement of a certain area. Or we might want to test the law to see if Parliament's intention is being met. If not, we then can build a case for law reform. What's ASIC's philosophy about taking on difficult cases? ASIC's why not litigate strategy means our default position is to focus first and foremost on the availability of court-based outcomes. That means we have to work backwards as to why we would not litigate. In such a case, gathering quality evidence is paramount. No matter how important a matter, or how grievous the alleged misconduct, no matter how crucial the legal principle, without quality evidence, you have absolutely no case. And indeed, it would be irresponsible of us to run litigation without the factual and legal basis to do so. Showing our regulated populations that ASIC is prepared to launch strong enforcement action and take on powerful interests is, by itself, an important characteristic of an effective regulator. I do think this sends a very strong message. Of course, ASIC will lose cases, and that is the nature of litigation. But being seen to take on the right cases is important, just like using the right regulatory tool is important. Now let's talk about bank bill swap rate. This is a key benchmark interest rate in Australian financial markets. ASIC had taken on a few of the major banks for alleged rate rigging. Tell me about ASIC's big win against Westpac in the BBSW, the bank bill swap rate case, where the court found that Westpac engaged in unconscionable conduct. Yes, this was an important ASIC court win against a major bank. 
the court found, after almost six weeks of a contested trial, that Westpac traded with the dominant purpose of manipulating the benchmark and in so doing acted unconscionably. And it was not just Westpac, as you know. Court settlements were ordered against NAB, CBA and ANZ after resistance from each of these financial institutions. Total civil penalties against these three banks were $25 million and total community benefit payments were made of $55 million. Sean, can you give me a sense of how complex the Westpac BBSW rate investigation was? The framework for which we were testing the law was really complex, Louise. Here, we were dealing with the bank bill swap rates, which was not a financial product, and seeking contraventions of the market manipulation provisions of the Corporations Act. The investigation was also complex in a data and volume sense. Just to give you an idea of complexity, in this investigation, we required production of close to 4 million audio recordings and over 14 million documents. In parallel to the legal battle, ASIC had a benchmark reform program that has resulted in significant law reform, including creating a new offence provision for manipulation of benchmarks. Can you speak a little bit more about this? It was really important, Louise, to tackle the regulatory conduct issue. We needed to take enforcement action to penalise past misconduct, and then we followed that up with significant law reform in the administration of a benchmark for the Australian market. So now we have the new law, where manipulation of the benchmark is an offence, and we also have a new way to calculate BBSW, which is being used and administered by the Australian Securities Exchange. Now, tell me about the Peter Gregg case. He was a former director and chief financial officer of Leighton's Holdings. They've changed their name now, but they used to be a huge construction, rail and tunnelling group. This is a really interesting case. It was a five-week trial that concluded in December 2018 and found Peter Gregg guilty of falsification of Leighton's books over an allegedly corrupt $15 million payment to a United Arab Emirates firm. The payment was supposedly made to purchase steel, but in fact, no steel was ever delivered as a result of that payment. And Sean, why was this such a big win for ASIC? Uh, This case involved false records, which we think is a matter that goes to the heart of being able to have trust and confidence in business, as well as the accuracy of record keeping. People need to feel confident that businesses, and the people who run them, are doing the right thing, and if they break the law, it's important that ASIC uses its powers to prosecute them. Before we finish up, Sean, we have two criminal cases that are highlighted in this report, one who was extradited from Thailand and another guilty of insider trading. Yes. In the first case, John Faulkner was the chief financial officer of TZ Limited, and from December 2006 to September 2008, he authorised illegitimate payments totalling $6.25 million. He then authorised false information to be sent to the ASX in their financial reports. These reports were misleading, and they failed to disclose the true nature of certain payments. This was a large investigation, not just of Faulkner, but of others involved in running TZ Limited. ASIC started the investigation back in 2012? That's right, Louise. And across the investigation, ASIC's investigators issued over 200 notices to produce documents, took statements from 52 witnesses, and undertook forensic accounting analysis to see where the funds were going. Importantly, they also worked with Hong Kong's Securities and Futures Commission and the International Criminal Police Organisation. They found that Mr Faulkner, along with two other businessmen, 
had defrauded TZ Limited of several millions of dollars. And that's why we were pleased to get a result, along with the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions, who prosecuted the case. In November 2018, Mr Faulkner was sentenced to four and a half years imprisonment. He had to be extradited from Thailand for the case too, an incredible piece of work. And finally, the case of a Mr Darren Lind, who has been found guilty of insider trading in shares of Minotaur Exploration, an ASX mining exploration company. Yes, Louise, what's really interesting about this second case was that Mr Lind was a former managing director of Goldenfield Resources, which had a joint venture with Minotaur to explore copper gold in Cloncurry, Queensland. Our investigations found that Mr Lind came into possession of inside information regarding the discovery of copper gold at Cloncurry during a meeting with Minotaur personnel on 25 July 2014. He then made two share purchases of Minotaur shares on 28 July, just three days later. Following an ASX announcement regarding the copper gold discovery on 31 July 2014, Minotaur's share price almost doubled in value. After a two-week trial in August 2018, Mr Lind was found guilty of two counts of insider trading and sentenced to 18 months imprisonment with a minimal custodial term of nine months to be served. Thanks for taking us through ASIC's July to December 2018 Enforcement Outcomes Report. My pleasure, Louise. You can read the full report on the ASIC website by heading to About ASIC and finding ASIC's Enforcement Outcomes. Here you'll find more about ASIC's Enforcement Review Task Force and other matters detailed in the report. If you have feedback for us on this podcast, send us a tweet to ASIC Media. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back with another episode of the ASIC podcast shortly. 